The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of the faith to the Gentiles. And they remained in no little time with the disciples." All right, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for this passage. Uh, Thank you so much for this day and to be able to gather together at this park. I pray for us as a church body that we would have a desperate reliance on the gospel and to be reminded of all that you've done for us. And I pray for Sam as he speaks this morning that you would lead and guide his words. Uh, Be his voice, Lord, and be with us as we listen. So I pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Great pronunciation on the names. I was like, I was kind of worried that I would have to read the scripture and like, oh, I don't know how to pronounce these. So thank you for doing that for me. Um, Man, it is an honor and joy to be with you guys. I know Randall gave a little bit of an introduction. I want to do the same for him because we didn't start out with, uh, you know, roses and flowers. We, um, you know, the the things I thought about him were not necessarily positive and I want to kind of unravel that with you guys before we get going. Um, Just to poke some fun too. So we started out at City to City and, you know, there was a coaching program and we are, all the planters have to choose a coach. And I was like thinking about, um, you know, who to choose. And, you know, I thought I would choose Randall because there would just be the least amount of competition. And that's nothing against Randall. Like there was just other guys who are more flashy. Like Randall's very like quiet, reserved, super humble. But like there's other guys who are like, you know, marketing themselves. And we just had planters lined up for him. And when I, when I asked to be, you know, um, with Randall, I was the only one that was with Randall. Okay. So I was like, I was super excited about that. But I was, I was actually excited because I had been in a lot of different coaching programs and I had not gotten a lot out of those programs. So I was like, with Randall, I wasn't expecting much. I was actually more like, hey, if I'm just with him, I'm just gonna like not meet with him and just be able to kind of crawl out of the coaching program and find my way out. But what ended up happening, the reason behind that was I didn't like Hawaiians, man. Okay, so so like Randall, like I'm, I'm just gonna be honest. Like I'm, I'm sharing, I'm being vulnerable with you guys. I'm just gonna be honest. Like, you know, I just have a bad rap with, Hawaiians because I think they're unreliable, like generally speaking, right? Like the most reliable Hawaiians I know are Lilo and Stitch, like for real, like I, I, no joke, like those are the most reliable Hawaiians that I've seen. It's in a movie, right? So I just thought there'd be no way to, to meet with a Hawaiian and, and, you know, get a lot of things out of him. But so that was how I went into it. However, you know, God really humbled me because while I do joke around about how like, oh, Hawaiians are so unreliable, like I didn't like Hawaiians. Like, God was just humbling me, man. He's like, you have this prejudice against this group, brother. And he really just broke that down with Randall. Like, if you asked me six, seven months ago who would be officiating my wedding, like, Randall would be last on my list. 
Like, I guarantee you. But to see how God has just moved in our relationship to, he's a brother, a friend, a mentor. Like he's a lifelong, just, just guy who's doing life with me. Okay, and, and just to see how God moves in the midst of that, it's just been so special. So I hope you guys know that it, it truly is an honor to just be asked to speak um, to you guys because Randall has just been so special to me and my wife. Um, you know, I'm very picky about who I wanted on my, on my wedding day, and Randall made the cut. So I hope you guys, that just shows you how special he is. So now we're going to get into the word, and um, I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, I've never actually preached out of the book of Acts. I've preached a lot of different books in scripture and just being able to work with you guys because I know you guys have been going through Acts and it's just going to be exciting. Uh, I had a lot of fun prepping this message. So one thing we realize um, in, the, in this passage is that Paul and Barnabas are tired. So they've been walking for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Okay, so these aren't like, when we, when we talk about when they moved to like a city, we're not talking about like they flew, right? They walked by foot. So where we left off last week, I know Randall preached. I actually listened to his message just so I could to, to learn with you guys. They were at Derby, right? So from Derby, they had preached the gospel and they had made, made many disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, okay? Well, I want to stop there because there's significance here. So Paul and Barnabas had already shared the gospel in Lystra, Okay. But now they're making their way back. So they've already preached. They've made disciples in that city. Paul even got stoned in Lystra. Okay, so I know the writing here is just like, oh, he went to Derby and he preached the gospel and now he's going back to Lystra. Like we need to realize the significance here in that he's going back to a place where he was stoned and he already made disciples. So now we're seeing a commitment to something else and that's what we're going to learn about is discipleship. We see that Paul was not only devoted, and him and Barnabas were not only devoted to preaching the gospel, but now they're committed to, to, to strengthening the souls of believers. So one thing that I want to look at with you guys is, you know, kind of the, the path in which Paul takes and the significance that has. Because from Derby, if he were to go home to Antioch in Syria, it would have taken about 290 to 300 miles of walking. If he just were, were to go straight home. And on the way, he could have stopped by to see family. Because Paul, Paul's family is in Tarsus. So he could have seen family. He could have taken a shorter route. He could have gone home. But that's not what he does. He goes back to the places that he had visited. And he takes a longer route. So now it's going to take him more walking. And he's going to have to make a boat trip to get back to Antioch. Where their sending church sent them out. So you already see a commitment there. And I want to tell, just tell you guys about me. You know, I have a commitment to doing things very fast. Okay, like I, people know, like my wife knows, like even being in a month and a half relationships, like she makes a comment every day, like, man, you love doing things fast. And that is so true. And that is something that I have grew, grown up doing from, from day one. And in high school, I had that commitment as well. And one of the things was I would do anything to get home quickly. So I played football in high school and I would do anything to get home quickly, like literally anything. And that means like I would run stop signs, okay? I would do, I would find the shortest pass. I would do whatever I could to get home quickly. And there was one day that I, I took the shortcut home. I went as fast as I could and I ran a stop sign and a police officer pulled me over. 
Luckily, it was a lady, so I could, you know, like, pull out my number and things like, different things. Like, I, I could work my magic. So I told her, like, I was like, man, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I will never do this again. I will never run that stop sign. Like, and she, she let me go. And I was like, let's go. You know, like, I was pumped. Because the next day, I did that same path, and I ran that stop sign. And I know you guys are thinking, like, what kind of pastor does that? Well, at the time, I was 16, okay? I, I have, like, 10 years of sanctification behind my belt, okay, since that day. Um, but it showed my commitment to taking shortcuts. Like, you're able to see my route going home, the way I was doing things, the way I was above the law, because the law only matters when someone's there to enforce it, right? So, like, you saw my commitment to doing things fast, and now what we see here in scripture is we see Paul and Barnabas's commitment to encouraging and strengthening fellow believers. We can't go over this point without, without understanding this because this is huge. So our first point is true followers of Jesus are committed to preaching the gospel and strengthening believers with encouragement. That's what we're seeing in verse 21, is that true followers of Jesus are committed to preaching the gospel and strengthening the believers with encouragement. So the question we have to ask ourselves here, are, what shortcuts are you taking in discipleship? What shortcuts are you taking? And an even better question is, are you taking the longer way in discipling disciples? Are you taking the long way? Like a Paul and Barnabas taking the long way. It wasn't easy. But they took the long way. They didn't take any shortcuts. No one would have said anything to Paul if he just skipped over Lystra. Because he got stoned there. Like people were not happy to see him. But he went back again. So it showed the commitment, discipleship, and that he was committed to strengthening believers with encouragement. And... I want to stress encouragement here because as believers, oftentimes, you know, I've gotten more advice about, you know, in the midst of trials, I have had more Christians tell me, hey, you're doing something wrong, Sam. And that is why God is punishing you here. I've heard that theology much more than I have. Hey, brother, like trials are required. Like we're going to go through a ton of trials and it's going to be hard. But I guarantee you it will be worth it. I've got that a few times. I've got it from Randall. I've got it from a few others. But most of the time, fellow Christians are telling me, hey, you're doing something wrong. And that's why God's punishing you. That is horrible theology. But that is oftentimes the theology that we give to others. And what we have to realize is that, you know, even Paul and Barnabas here, they're not just saying, hey, you guys are doing stuff wrong. And that's why you're going to go through trials. That's why you're going to get stoned. That's why you're going to get attacked. That's why you're going to be persecuted. That's not what he's stressing here. He's saying, he went back and he encouraged them and told them even that, hey, there's going to be trials. And if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, if you want to go to heaven, there's going to be those trials in your way. There's going to be persecution. And it's a good thing. So that's why he, we, uh, the writer of Acts, Luke, he's saying that they strengthen believers with encouragement. And encouragement is contagious in the same way that attitude is contagious. So one thing I've learned in my first year, first month of marriage is that if I talk back to my wife, I'm going to get an unhappy wife, okay? And things don't look pretty. But one thing I realized while fighting with my wife um, a few weeks ago 
was she, she had gotten mad at me. I did something stupid, okay? I'm sure all the husbands we can relate, okay? So I was doing something stupid and, you know, my wife calls me out on it and usually I get really defensive. And I'm like, hey, bro, like, you know, I get the lawyer card out. Like, my parents wanted me to, me to be a lawyer. So I like, and I'll try it out here. You know, I, I be a lawyer, I, I get defensive, I fight back, and I show a lot of attitude. And that leads to more fire, okay? My wife gets, gets, shows me attitude and response. But what I realized in one of those most recent fights is that when she got mad at me and she called me out, I said, I'm sorry, okay? I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I made a mistake, I was wrong, and I was genuine in my tone. And my wife, she walked away, and later she came back to me and she's like, man, I, I have to forgive you because, man, your, your tone, you, you're genuine, you're sorry, like, I just can't, I just can't be mad at you. And I was thinking like, wow, that's like, I got to write that down. Like, this is how I got to, you know, address, you know, issues now. And, and I mentioned this story because she was giving attitude, rightfully so. And I'm going to respond with attitude. But if I do that, we're just going to continue to have conflict. But encouragement, if you encourage me, then I'm going to encourage others. So one of the things I love about Randall in our coaching program is Randall is an encourager. Like he tells me truth, but he encourages. I've gone through so many trials in City City, you know, having core members drop out, having, um, you know, like finance issues, like all these different things. Randall has walked through me. He has never been like, hey, bro, like you're doing things wrong. He's asked questions, which has convicted me, but he encourages me through the trials and I am generally a negative person. And one thing that's changed about me is because of the encouragement through trials that I've received from Randall, I'm sharing that more with others. I'm encouraging others in their walk. So when I see one of my core members going through trials, like I used to be like, hey, bro, you're doing something wrong. I see, I see a red flag here. And God has blessed me with the opportunity to see your wrongs and not my own. You know, it's like, I see that. But now through Randall's Love and encouragement through trials, I'm able to see that that's not only something that we should do, but it's something that we must do. And that, in turn, creates a domino effect where we continue to encourage other believers. So the first point, again, is true followers of Jesus are committed to preaching the gospel and strengthening believers with encouragement. Number two is that persecution is a mark of a true Christian. Persecution is a mark of a true Christian, which we're seeing in verse 22. And this isn't just something that shows up in the book of Acts. We see this consistent throughout scripture, right? If we only saw this in the book of Acts and, and different things in different scripture, we'd, we'd kind of wrestle with this verse more. But we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He's saying persecution will happen. And I, I listed some other verses. I'm not going to read it for you guys, but I, I have it there in your guys' notes. Romans 8, 17, Philippians 3, 10 through 11, Colossians 1, 24. What we see is that persecution is not only okay, but persecution is necessary. Persecution is necessary. 
which means that if you're a true believer, you must be tested with persecution. That's how we'll know that you're saved. You know, my wife and I, we are tea people. Like I, we love tea. We don't, we're not big coffee people. Um, and one of the things about a tea bag is in order to know how strong a tea bag is, is you need to put it in hot water. This is another thing where I, uh, I, tackle, I went after my wife. I was like, because I was trying to put tea, a tea bag in cold water once, and she was like, hey, that's not going to work. You have to put it in hot water. And I was like, stop acting like you know everything. Like, you know, I'm going to do it anyways. And, you know, later I told her like, hey, it works, like even though it didn't, because, you know, this is my pride kicking in. But I put it in a cold water, and there was barely any tea. But I put that same tea bag in hot water, and it tasted so good. Tasted so good. But that's because you put the hot tea bag in water. And in that same way, Christians need to go through persecution for us to see how strong they are. We have to go through persecution to see how strong we are. And that's why persecution is a mark of a true Christian. What good is untested faith? What good is untested faith? If the Christian walk was a breeze and easy, who wouldn't believe? Everyone could believe in Jesus. Another example that I want to share is um, two weeks ago, my wife and I, we went to Oahu, where Randall's from. You know, see, you see the love developing for Hawaii, right? Right there. So we went to Oahu and, you know, we, we're, we're short on money. We're trying to fund a church plant. So you know, one of my friends in Oahu, I was, they said they had a little place for 50 bucks a night. And we were like, let's go. Like, we're down. Like, set, sign us up for two nights there. What I failed to realize, I was super excited about that. But what I failed to realize is, you know, the quality was probably going to be like Motel 6 or below, right? So I, I didn't realize that. And this is our honeymoon, right? So great job, you know, Sam, on that. Um, but what I realized as we were, we were staying there, you know, our bed was kind of like messed up. It was a place where, you know, we couldn't step outside of the room because, you know, we, there'd be a, probably a robbery or something. So there was, it was unsafe, but not only was it unsafe, the place where we were sleeping on, like my wife was like, man, the bed is really bad. Like it keeps shaking. Like, I don't know if it's going to like fall apart. And it was just a bad place to be. But I was just trying to be like, hey, we're like church planners, you know, we're like, we love God and, and you know, we should go through these difficult times. But one of the things she mentioned was, as we were laying down, she was like, man, like we say we're going to be devoted to, to the gospel and to share it and, and go through difficult things. And we're committed to God. Like we love God every Sunday we meet with other believers and we're like, Hey, we'll do anything for God. But I'm sitting here and I'm complaining about, you know, a $50 a night bed and, um, just seeing like how weak we actually are. And I just found that to be so helpful. Because I was there, I was thinking the same thing. I just wasn't telling it to her because I was the one who, you know, I was the one who, who asked to rent that place. But what I realized is that's how weak we are, especially 21st century Christian believers. Like we, we've become so weak. Like we say a lot of things. Like we say we'll, we'll give our lives to God. We'll, we'll do anything. We'll give up our possessions. Like God, we'll do anything for you. But then when the rubber meets the road, things change. It's like, oh, wait, never mind. Like other Christians can do that. You know, Pastor Silas can go to Myanmar, but I'm not going to go. It's easy for us to do that. And what we're realizing here is that we should be facing persecution. And your response to persecution shows if you're a true believer or not. 
So what good is untested faith? Persecution is a necessary mark of a true Christian. The third point is 3A, is that Jesus's church polity structure, well, Jesus's church polity, and polity means it's a fancy word for structure, calls for a plurality of elders slash pastors. Jesus's church polity calls for a plurality of elders. I want to read this. I forgot where I got it from, but I did get it from someone, so I want to read it. I put in quotes. Is that in the early days of Acts, when the Jerusalem church was the only church, the leaders were the apostles. As the apostles work outside Jerusalem, or, or as the apostles work outside Jerusalem increased, there arose within the Jerusalem church a group of elders that was distinct from the apostles. Okay, so what we're seeing here is as the apostles, their ministry grew and Paul and Barnabas are going out and making more disciples and the churches are continuing to grow, they're not able to handle, they're not able to be leaders in all those churches. So they appoint elders to take on their old role. Now what we see here is that we must know that a part of our church polity, the structure, it must include elders, or today we, we use the word interchangeably, but pastors, Okay, elders or pastors, they should be leaders in our local churches. Okay. That's just a point that we must um, talk about. Uh, 3B is that church members are responsible for appointing healthy, qualified elders through prayer. And we see that in verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So now you guys are a young church plant. So I know like when you guys first started out, you know, it, it made sense to only have Randall as the elder pastor over Grace City. But the hope is that we would have a plurality of elders, that there would be more elders being raised up in a healthy way. And I know Randall is going through that right now, but church members as a whole, you guys are responsible for raising up healthy elders through prayer and fasting. Like you're, you're, you're called to support Randall in that process. It's not just Randall on his own. He needs your guys' help. Prayer and fasting, a devotion to scripture to raise up 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 elders. People who are qualified for eldership. So that's a challenge that you guys should have. Now that you've transitioned out of it, you guys are a young church plant, but now you're able to, to get to this part and now you should be committed to this, to raising up elders in your church and eventually sending out people to plant more churches, which we'll see later in, later in this passage. But one thing that I, I want to read, it's a quote from John Piper. It reads this, the Bible is the ultimate authority and infallible, not the pastor and not the elders. And it doesn't mean that you believe everything he says without examining it. Okay, so... Randall is not God, and I am not God. Pastors are not God. So scripture is the ultimate authoritative word of God, and that is our standard. So you are called to look at the things Randall does through scripture, and I'm sure he's fine with it. We use scripture as our authority to do things. So as you pray about, you know, raising up elders, remember scripture is the ultimate authority. If you want people's opinion Man, dude, we will have elders all across the board. 
Different types of elders. But Paul is very clear in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 about the qualifications of a pastor. So we use that to raise up leaders. And you're responsible. You guys as a church are responsible in doing that. Additionally, our third point, 3C, is that followers of Jesus should proclaim the grace of God and the work that God does through us. That's what you see in verse 27. Okay, Paul and Barnabas now go back. They take the long way around, and they're back to um, the church in Antioch, Syria. Okay, and now they're reporting the grace of God, things that have happened. Okay, and I, I hope this rings a bell here in that we see ascending church and ascent to individuals, sent to church planters. We see this sort of relationship here that should transfer into our churches today. So basically, if we transfer what's happening here to our time today, is that there should be sending churches. When, when a church is healthy and it raises up, it grows in numbers and in health, in spiritual health, now they should be sending out church planters to plant more churches. And they're not just planting those churches out and it's over. They should be coming back to report the grace of God and the work that has been done. So what that looks like is, uh, you know, Pastor Silas, I got to talk a little with him. It would be raising up Pastor Silas and sending him out, supporting him. And then as he comes back, he reports the things that he's seen, the grace of God and the work that has been done. That's the sort of relationship that the church in Antioch has with Paul and Barnabas. We see ascending church and church planners and the relationship together in verse 27. So we're able to understand, we're, we've, we've covered a lot here, and I hope you guys are following, but I want to recap point three, because I know there's three points within number three. Is that Jesus' church polity calls for a plurality of elder pastors. 3B, church members are responsible for appointing healthy, qualified leaders through prayer and fasting. And then number three, followers of Jesus should proclaim the grace of God and the work that God does through us. Okay, so this is a, this is a long process, but we're able to learn so much from the book of Acts. Just in these, these few verses, we see so much about Paul and Barnabas's ministry that we should take and apply to our church today. So I want to I wanna just kind of pause this. We're about halfway through Acts, and I want to highlight some things that have happened and happened in the past, but also today in the passage that we read. And, and I want to label it evidences of discipleship. So if you're like, hey, like I've been through discipleship, like um, I'm discipling others, like here are some, some things for you to, to look at to see if you truly have been a part of discipleship. So these are evidences of discipleship. The first one is resilience, okay? You guys talked about this with Randall last week, gospel resilience. We see that in, in the first part of Acts 14. There's a toughness to recover well through, you know, Paul getting stoned at Lystra and there being a lot of opposition to show resilience, the toughness to get through those moments. That's an evidence of discipleship, okay? And then point number two is endurance. What you guys learned about um, in Acts 13 with Pastor Doug, 
Okay, there's this sort of endurance. There's the gospel and there's a mission. The mission is big. You gotta, you gotta dust off your feet, right? That's what Pastor Doug was mentioning. You gotta dust off your feet and continue to fight the good fight of faith. Continue to march on to complete the great commission, right? So that's, a, that's an evidence of discipleship. So resilience, and then we got endurance. And then what we covered today, number three is preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is not just for pastors. Randall, when he comes up here every Sunday, most Sundays, that's preaching the gospel. But you are called to preach the gospel wherever you go. Whether that's your workplace or on vacation, you are called to preach the gospel wherever you go. That is an evidence of discipleship. And then number four is encouraging fellow believers through trials and persecution. Remember, not condemning, not saying that they're wrong or they've done something wrong, and that's why they're going through those trials, but to encourage them, to say, hey, I, I get that it's hard. I've been through these things too. But I just want to encourage you, brother. You're on the right track. It'll be okay. God never said it was going to be easy. He just said it'd be worth it. So it's going to be worth it, brother. I want to encourage you through those trials. I'm with you. If you need anything, call me. That's the sort of encouragement that is an evidence of discipleship. Number five is appointing healthy and qualified leaders, right? We see that in Acts 14, 23, right? We need to appoint healthy leaders like Randall. Now Randall needs help. We need to continue to raise up healthy elders to complement Randall in ministry. And then number six is testimonies about the grace of God at work. This is going to be huge. This is what we saw in verse 27. We must be able to see testimonies of God at work. Not your own work, but what God has done in you and through you. What has God been doing? Are you able to testify to those things? Are you able to share that with others? Are there clear things that God is doing in your life that you're able to see? So be able to, we got to be able to share that with others. And we see that as the final evidence of discipleship. So these six things are key things to look for in discipleship. And I get that it's hard. We see Paul and Barnabas and, you know, especially just reading it, we don't understand the weight of their mission sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I think, man, it's impossible for 21st century Christians, me included, to live like Paul and Barnabas. And I was just kind of diagnosing my own life, um, you know, and how I live as a Christian, as a son of God, and thinking like, man, why can't I live like this? Why can't I be committed to discipleship? Why aren't these sorts of fruits showing up in my life? And what I realized is I was able to, to kind of pair this up um, in my relationship with Monopoly. So I, how you, guys, you guys should all know Monopoly, right? I know, you know, everything's about video games now, but I think most of you guys should know about Monopoly. And one of the things, I loved playing Monopoly growing up, okay, because because I was down to win. Like, I loved money. Like, I want to be a business major. Like, I loved, like, taking money from others, like, monopolizing things. So I loved playing the game of Monopoly. And, you know, at the end, I would just feel so happy because I got all this money. I beat my older brother and sister. This is, like, the one thing that I could beat them at. I have all this Monopoly money. It's like, let's go. Let's go to Chase Bank and let's cash this out. Like, I'm, I'm down. Let's go. I got, like, $15 million right here. Let's go. Let's cash it out. 
And what I realized is in that simple game, in my relationship to that game, was I could not take that Monopoly money and go to Chase Bank and cash it out for real money. There, was, there would be no way. The, guys would, the tellers would be like, you're crazy, bro. You're on drugs or something. But that's how it is with our faith. We, 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 we store up earthly treasures and we think on judgment day, like, God, I'm, I want to cash this out. Like, dude, I, I, I made a ton of money. I have a mansion. Like, man, I, I did so many. I was so successful. I was a CEO of like 15 companies. I've done so much. Lord, I want to cash this out. But it's like, God's like, bro, those are earthly treasures. They have no value in heaven. You can't cash it out in the same way you can't cash out Monopoly money at Chase Bank. So that's what I realized about myself is, like, man, I'm storing up earthly treasures and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm saying like, God, like cash this out, baby. Let's go, come on. God's saying, you can't cash it out. It has no value. So that's what we're doing. If we're not seeing this sort of fruit of discipleship in our life, it's because we're storing up earthly treasures that have no value on earth. Another thing we see is that Paul and Barnabas, they understood this. That's why when the world sees this and you're walking 300 miles to people who want to stone you, to want to see you killed, they're able to live like that. Why? Because they're storing up eternal treasures. The world calls them crazy, but God is going to reward them. He has already rewarded them. Because they see the eternal value of spreading the gospel even at the cost of their own lives. Even at the cost of their own lives. We see this hunger, this hunger to share the gospel. We see it in Paul and Barnabas, even in the way they're walking, right? Like I, I see this, like, I hope I, this is getting to you guys. Like I see this over and over and I, it's just so easy for me to walk over it. They're walking hundreds and hundreds of miles. You know that song, like, Thousand Miles? Like, I would walk a thousand miles. Like, I used to sing that to my wife, like, all the time. It's like, wait, now I'm thinking, like, I don't know if I'd walk a thousand miles for you. But Paul and Barnabas might for God. I guarantee you, actually, they will. So we see that commitment to discipleship. And it's because they understood the value of the gospel and the eternal treasure that it will bring. So my challenge for you guys is to not only just see this as like, hey, this was back in the day. These guys were a part of Jesus' ministry. Don't think of it like that. Discipleship starts here in San Diego. I know you guys are transient city. Like um, people are moving in and out. But while you're here, commit yourself to discipleship in the same way that Paul and Barnabas did. Have that sort of hunger where it's like, man, I don't need to see my family. Like I... Man, I, I can just keep going. I can go back to places where people don't, where people hate me. And they're able to love those people. You know why? You know why Paul was able to love Lystra even though they wanted to stone him? He's, Paul was able to love those who are unlovely because God loved him when he was unlovely. And that's the same thing for us. We're able to love others who are unlovely. Dude, I, I told this in a sermon last week, actually. Like, I have a list of people who I, I just dislike. 
okay? It's like 40 people, man. And through ministry, like, there's just people, like, I have written down, like, bro, like, I will never talk to this person ever again. Like, I hate this person, okay? You're saying a sinner in me. Like, I repented. Like, I'm fighting against, like, now that's my prayer list. But I have just a list of enemies. Like, bro, like, I do not like these people. Like, God, they have done me so dirty. Like, I will love anyone else, but not these people. But you know how I get compassion? I read this, and I see Paul, man. He's going back to Lystra. Like, literally, like, he was dragged out of the city. He's dragged out, treated like garbage. And he's going back to love those people. And the only thing that, the only conclusion that I can come to is because God loved him when he was unlovely, when he was killing people. So that's the love we're able to replicate to others. So my challenge for you guys is as we leave here today, Ask yourself, am I committed to discipleship? A true biblical sort of discipleship? Am I even being discipled? Am I willing to take the long way in discipleship? Am I able to be like Paul and Barnabas and to take the long way, even, even if it's hard? Like I'll share a story and I'll be done. I don't know how I'm doing on time, but you know, even in my own life, I've seen my shortcomings and see how God has worked. But there's a brother that, that is actually here with me. He's a part of our church plant. And it was hard to disciple him. Like we met when I was a youth pastor. He was one of my youth teachers. Like this kid's crazy. Like there, I brought two guys with me so you guys can figure out which one it is. But this guy's just crazy, all right? So like I, I, would, I would put him in leadership positions and he would start like grilling the youth parents and saying like, oh, the parents aren't like discipling you know, they're kids enough. And it would be one thing to just tell me, right, in a private conversation. But like he goes up publicly and he starts grilling youth parents. So like there was a mission trip that we went on and I was like, okay, I, I could only choose two people, one teacher and one youth student. And I chose him. That was probably a stupid move. But he, like he goes up in front of the whole church. He has just a list of things where it's like, hey, parents, like you guys do not know what you're doing. You guys are spending the most time with your kids. Like, you aren't discipling them well. He just grilled them. I don't know how many meetings I got called to after that. Like, my senior pastor called me up. Like, I had parents. They were like, what are you doing, bro? Like, I had to take a lot of heat. And that was hard because I'm, like, discipling this brother. And I want to encourage him. But it's like, bro, like, come on. I haven't called, like, 500 meetings because of you. Like, this is, this is tough, bro. Like, and, you know, one of the things is I was leaving as I transitioned out of that youth pastor position, like, I love that brother, but I was like, hey, bro, like, my time in discipling you is over. Like, I, I mean, I love you, brother. Like, I invested my time into you two and a half years. Like, Jesus spent, like, three and a half years. Like, I'm close to that number. Like, I'm done, brother. Thanks. And later I would realize he was the first one to join my church plant. Okay? And, and, and God putting him back into my life, I'm like, oh, hey, brother. Like, you know, it's like, you know, you could be at a bigger church, you know, doing different things. Like, you don't have to be with me. And, and just seeing my own heart of like, man, it's going to be a lot of a work to disciple this brother. And I'm going to have to take the long way. Like, I'm going to have to hold his hand through a lot of different things. And I'm going to get grilled. I'm going to get grilled a lot. But God convicted me. And it's like, man, you had a ton of pastors invest in you. I got thrown into a river by my youth pastor because I was so annoying. But his investment, his commitment to me paid off. And that's what I'm seeing in this brother too, is if I had just stepped away, like I don't know where this brother would be, but spending the past year, another year with him and seeing his growth, I'm able to say, man, like I'm not the one who does the change. Because I was thinking, in my head, I, working with this brother, like I was like, oh, I don't, I, I don't know if God can even change this guy. 
And I began to doubt and doubt, just wanting to take the shortcut, wanting to avoid true biblical discipleship. But now after just one year with this brother, another additional year with this brother, I've seen so much of God's grace and I'm able to testify. Like I, I'm grilling him here now, but there's just so many good things I can share about him and the way he's grown. And to see that he was only able to do that because God convicted me to be committed to discipleship. So I want to challenge you guys. If you have been, if you've grown up in church, you've been discipled by leaders, now it's time for you to be committed to that discipleship process and discipling others. In the way that God has put people in your life to disciple you, now you're called to disciple others. And it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to be resilient. You're going to have to endure through the trials, through, through the negative things. You're going to have to endure. But it will be worth it. It will be worth it. So in the same way that Paul and Barnabas were committed to, they devoted their lives to storing up treasures in heaven. So I want to challenge you guys to do. Life on earth is short. Life on earth is short. And that's what Paul and Barnabas saw. So the, one, the last thing that I want to tell you guys is only the things that you do for, for Christ matter. Only the things that you do for Christ truly matter. And the reason I'm, I'm stressing this now is I don't want us to meet someday in heaven and to you to be like, oh, like Pastor Sam, like you talk, you didn't stress enough how important doing work for Christ was. You didn't emphasize how important it was to live for the gospel. You didn't tell us that we had to count the cost to give up maybe everything to live for God and to share the gospel. You didn't tell us how important that was. I don't want you guys to tell me that on judgment day. So what I'm telling you right now is only the things that you do for Christ will truly matter. Only the things that you do for Christ will matter. I want to make that super clear to you guys. So let's live like Paul and Barnabas. Let's live that crazy radical life and devote ourselves to Christ because that's the only thing that will matter. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that you've given us to just look at Acts 14, 21 through 28. Um, Lord, just seeing your faithfulness played out in Paul and Barnabas and in their life and just seeing how faithful you are in the midst of trials. And even when we think you're not there, Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness in the ministry and their commitment to the gospel and to, to the gospel mission and just being able to to see how you work. Lord, as we now um, leave here, Lord, help us to be the church. Not just the church when we gather here, but that when we go out into our workplace, into our vacations, into just going to the grocery store, that we would be a light to people in the darkness. Even if the response is hate, Lord, that we would be able to respond in love and that we would be committed to discipling one another, that we'd be committed to sharing the gospel to people that we encounter in everyday life. Lord, continue to work in our hearts as we fight against this desire to raise ourselves up, to want to, to wanna worship ourselves or, or things that aren't you. Continue to convict us and to help us to become more and more like you. 
that each and every day will follow closer and be closer and closer to you. Lord, help us to not conform to the patterns of this world, but solely to the example that you've set through Jesus Christ. In the same way that Paul and Barnabas were committed to discipleship, where they'd give up physical health, where, where they would put their lives on the line for the gospel. That's the sort of sacrifice we want to have, Lord. And if there's anything that's getting in our way, Lord, help us to see that and to throw it out, that we would fight against our temptations, that we would fight against wanting to serve ourselves, and that we would serve you solely out of a love and a delight that isn't duty, that isn't just something that we have to do, that we want to do. We want to do work for the kingdom, that we want to evangelize, share the good news of the gospel to others, that we have a true desire to want to do that. So continue to work in our hearts as we become more like you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.